Good morning, everyone. It's really good to see you, and um, thank you for being here. Des and I were up at uh, New Day on Wednesday and Thursday this week. Um, I'm just so grateful for all your prayers. I mean, they had a gr- they're having a very, very good time. It's incredibly challenging. I heard Francis Chan on Wednesday night. Um, my goodness. If you get a chance to download some of the, the talks from New Day, then I suggest you do that because um, he was, Francis Chan was terrific, absolutely terrific. I actually thought, how do I, you know, how can you, how can you speak when you've heard someone like that? So it's worth, it's worth it, it's really worth a listen. Okay, we're on the, um, we're on Psalm 130. It's one of 15 Psalms, it runs from 120 to 134, and they're called the Psalms of Ascent. And they were sung by the Israelites as they made their way up to some of the main festivals that were held in Jerusalem. It's really a songbook within a songbook. And these are their traveling songs. And if you're on one of those pilgrimages, at a certain point you would start this ascent up to Jerusalem, which is the highest city in Palestine. And, then they, and that's why these are called the Songs of Ascent. These are the songs they would sing on their way up to Jerusalem. So, Psalm 130. If you have a Bible, I, I just encourage you to help to find your way around it. Yeah, Psalms are out the middle of the book, so 130 shouldn't be too difficult to find. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Lord, you're... Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my trust. I wait for the Lord. More than the watchman wait for the morning, More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. There's no introduction to this psalm. There's no slip road in onto the motorway or anything like that. It's... It's right there. Nothing gradual about it. No soft approach. It's out there immediately. This is his, this is his cry. So, out of, the depths, out of the depths, Lord, I cry to you, Lord. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. This psalm has a journey of it, all of its own. I expect you would find one. It may be different from the one I found, but it, it has a journey. He cries. He cries, you know, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. He remembers, he waits, he hopes, he declares. I'm not going to pick all of that up, most of it, but not all of that up. But it has a journey of its own. And he begins with this first line, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. He feels he's in a hole. He's in a pit. There's nothing objective detached, listing of symptoms going on here. This is roar. This is pain. 
This is depths of desperation. It's all in this psalm. You get it even just in this first line. This is why it resonates with so many of us here, because we've been here. I recall a period of our lives when I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would hear the suppressed sobbing of my wife's death lying next to me. You know, personal circumstances going on in our family which we were unable to do anything about. Nothing we could do. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. It's not a rarity. David does the same in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there's no foothold. I can't stop myself going down. I got no way to get up. I'm about to drown. Jonathan Aitken, as a conservative cabinet minister in John Major's government in the 90s, and he was sentenced to 18 months imprisonment for perjury. He recalls his first night at Belmarsh Prison. It was a long day in court, and he was hoping for some sleep that night in his cell. And when the lights went out, the noise started, and the shouting and the chanting began to ring, no, not from cell to cell, from block to block. They were shouting and chanting what they were going to do to him the following morning. He was absolutely terrified. He couldn't even pray. He couldn't even pray the Lord's Prayer. And in the folds of his um, pockets, he felt this object... And it was a book of scripture. Someone had thrust it into his hand after he had been sentenced. It had headings for certain circumstances. Under one particular heading was trouble or despair. Something similar. And it led him to this psalm, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. He instantly identified with this psalm. It resonated with him. When we, when we read this, we go, ah, so other people have been there too. I, I am not the only one. It's really helpful like that. Now listen, in this psalm, it's important to recognize that the psalmist here is not crying out for help. He's crying out for mercy. Now you may think that's a mute point, but actually, it's a very specific point to where he leads to. So look at it. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. You know, to cry out for help is one thing. But for mercy, that's specific. I remember, I remember mine. I remember my cry. I was 24 years old. And I'm sitting at the kitchen table. I have my head in my hands. And I am crying. I am crying. I'm out of my depth. The job I'm doing is way out over my head. And God has been on my case for weeks. He's been on my case for months. Actually, 
He'd been on my case for years. I had stubbornly resisted for so long. That day, he had me. I was in a corner. I had nowhere to go. And you know, it wasn't the job. It wasn't the job that needed changing. It was my relationship with God that needed changing. That was the point. At that night, I knew it'd been on my case, you see. I just cried out, I am sorry. I cried out for the mercy of God. If you kept a record of sins, Lord, who, who would stand? Who could stand? I made such a mess of my life. I kept him at such a distance. I knew he was God. I just kept him at a distance. And that night, I just threw myself into the mercy, merciful hands of God. If you haven't done that, and you are here today, and you are doing the resistance thing, listen, I get it. I get it. I have been there. I got the t-shirt. Just, you don't have to do another day of this. I know the life. It's miserable. You don't have to do another day of this. Don't waste your life. If that's you, come on. It says, you know, that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. And you may have just come in here and, and suddenly this has come. And this is right where you're at. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Let go. Just save yourself some trouble. In fact, save yourself a whole tree, heap of trouble. It's the opportunities for you. But sometimes it's time, isn't it? Wave the white flag. I give in. In the 1970s, there was a gooey, sentimental romance novel that was made into a film. And it had a memorable line, and some of you are thinking, I think I know what that film is. And the memorable line is, love means never having to say you're sorry. Do you remember that one? And I I remember going to that, and I remember my sister, she sobbed all the way through it and all the rest of it. Look, listen, love means never having to say you're sorry. Rubbish. It's just rubbish. The opposite is true. Love means precisely having to say you're sorry. Do you know, having a sense of guilt, vastly underappreciated, deserves our gratitude. It has the powerful capacity to move us towards repentance and therefore reconciliation to people we have hurt and harmed. Yet we live in a culture that desensitized guilt. This day and age wonders whether the word is even relevant. Previous traditions would come, would be, would be shocked and shamed by some of the things that are now talked about so openly without even so much as a blush. Some people, are friends that I know, they've, they've come from other countries and they've come to our country and One of the things, the major shocking thing to them is what they see on our TV screens. They find it unbelievable that this nation would have got so sick. Unbelievable. They're shocked. They they thought this was a a godly nation. Then they look at the TV screen and they can't believe it. This is open to all the public. And the things that are said, talk shows in in the name of entertainment boast about all manner of things that should make us blush. 
tabloid new articles and pictures in our papers leave little to imagination. We live in a culture that says you decide what's right or wrong. Juan, don't you be burdened by traditions of the past and their judgments. All your parents, even your friends, no, you decide. You decide what's right. The 20th century writer Franz Kafka is a novelist and he wrote in his diary, the problem modern people have now is that we feel like a sinner, independent of guilt. So what he was saying was that we've got rid of the idea of guilt Yet we feel there's still, we just know there is still something wrong. And letting my conscience be my guide, by the way, (laughs) is hardly objective. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Out of the depths. So the first thing he does is cry. cries to the Lord. And then he remembers. He remembers who the standard is. He remembers what the standard is. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, there's a record. Don't miss that. There's a record. But if you kept it, who would stand? God is the standard. Moses meets with God and God says to himself, and who, should, who should I say you are, Moses said? I am who I am. I am who I am. I'm not who you want me to be. And I'm not what you think I ought to be. I am who I am. My standard is the standard. Isaiah meets God and he sees the holiness of God in Isaiah chapter 6. And it just leaves him completely undone. And you hear these words now, I know you're familiar with them. He goes, woe is me. That's, that is like calling a curse on yourself. Woe is me. I have never come in the presence of such holiness. I am who I am. Not what you want me to be. I am who I am. And you know, Jesus' glory is revealed to John in the book of Revelation. And it says he fell at his feet as though he was dead. This is our God. Peter comes ashore after Jesus has given fishing instructions. His nets are so full, he needs others to help him with the catch. And he comes up on shore and he says, You know, Jesus, we could do a really good business here. I mean, we could make such a profit. Well, of course, you know, he doesn't say that at all. He falls on his face. He just actually says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Oh, I never met anybody like you. Jesus is so other. Who is the standard? He's the standard. If you, Lord, get a record of sins, who could stand? And because of who he is, we can know that our sins are forgiven. That's what the psalmist says. But with you, there is forgiveness of sin. There is forgiveness. There are two things at play here when we're talking about this. Guilt is feeling bad about what you've done. Shame is feeling bad about who you are. Sometimes the two are independent. But mostly they're associated with one another. 
Now, sometimes they're independent because we feel shame because of what others have done to us. And we feel shame. But guilt and shame are mostly associated by what we have done. Guilt in many ways can be easier. I do wrong, I cross a boundary, I apologize, and if possible, put things right. I say something insensitive. I rash. I diminish somebody. I apologize. Just very simple this. Shame, on the other hand, goes underneath the surface. I'm insensitive, I'm brash, I put someone down. And then I ask the question, why did I do that? I put them down in order that I might push myself up. And in the putting them down, that's a shameful thing to do. Guilt and shame can haunt you. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached at Westminster Chapel for 40 years, over 40 years. He recalls an older man, 77 years age, giving his life to Christ. He became a member of that church and in their tradition, he was then able to have his first communion. It's a glorious day. I mean, he was so happy. The next morning, he's at Martin Lloyd-Jones' house and he's weeping uncontrollably. He's utterly dejected. During the night, he remembered an occasion when he had been drinking heavily with others. And in an argument, he had said with contempt that Jesus was a bastard. And it had all come back to him that night. And it was okay to, f- to forget about the drinking, gambling, immorality. That could be forgiven. But not what he said about Jesus. It was that one thing. This is not rare, my friends. What do you think we have? We have a battle here. We're in a spiritual battle. And our enemy wants to pull up, trawl up that thing, that one thing. That one thing, guilt, shame, that one thing, you know, can't forgive that. He just cannot forgive that. I tell you what, please do not diminish the mercy and the grace of God. That one thing. We're in a battle. Reminders like that are the chief weapon of our enemy. If Satan can't rob you of your salvation, I tell you what, he'll rob you of your joy. If he can't do that, he'll rob you of your joy. Jesus has given you a new life. I'm just don't be paralyzed by the past. And, and, so what do we do? Well, in light, when that happens, what do we do? I think we remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. That's what we do. He reminds himself who he's coming to. Well, he's coming to the standard bearer. He's coming to the Lord. In fact, you'll notice, or you, it'll come to attention, the Lord is used eight times throughout this psalm. Again and again. And if you, Lord, you know, if you, Lord, kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? But with you there is, with you, there is forgiveness. But... With you, there is forgiveness. You might say, well, that, the trouble is, is that thing that I did, it was just terrible. It's, that is the terrible thing. I, I, it's terrible. No, no, no. That, 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 you would say, that, that's, my, that's the trouble. It's the terrible thing I did. No, that is not the trouble. The trouble is your unbelief. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins. Is that true? 
Yeah, I got a murmuring like that down at the town center. So, I, now, is it true? Okay. So, so as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Is that true? Yes, it is. It's true. Well, why is your one thing bigger than his mercy? It isn't. It isn't. Paul the Apostle in the New Testament writes to Timothy and he says, even though I was, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Then he goes on further to say, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me in abundance along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Listen, if this is where you are, you don't have to stay here. You need to move on. See, but with you, there is forgiveness. Don't live your life in the past. Don't do that. Just live your life in the glory of what Jesus has given you. It's really important. If this wasn't true, I can assure you, I would not be standing here today. Actually, I wouldn't even be there today. If this wasn't true, I I have had the t-shirt on this. I know. I have been exactly in that place. Dogged shame and guilt. If his forgiveness is not enough, then we are stuck. But it isn't. It's further in the psalm. It goes, there's full redemption in Christ. There's full redemption. The one thing. He's shown us mercy. His mercy, my friends, is bigger. It is bigger than that one thing. And the writer says, see, he waits. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my trust. I wait for the Lord. More than watchman waits for the morning. More than watchman waits for the morning. It's ongoing. This Christian life is ongoing. Repentance and faith are a constant rhythm of life. It's not meant for merely one-off events. It's not that. It's a process, my friends. It's a long journey, this. One writer says this. Repentance is not usually a moment wrought in high drama. It's the steady drumbeat of life in Christ and therefore a day in Christ. Is that Alf? (laughs) Let me just say, repentance is not usually a moment wrought in high drama. It is the steady drumbeat of a life in Christ and therefore a day in Christ. She puts it really well, this lady. You know, I get, disappoint, get, I get disappointed. I find I, I think sometimes I love God so little and I love myself so much. It's, and you know, it's in the orderliness of life I get caught out. It's not the big events. It's the orderliness of life. My capacity, I have a capacity for mean and petty thoughts. I have moments of, more than a few, irritability, and impatience to lose my cool over matters that quite frankly are not worth the effort I remember on one occasion I was having an imaginary conversation you're thinking this guy's really weird Uh, but I asked in the office actually did anybody have imaginary conversations I don't know you don't have to put your hands up but I had this imaginary conversation and uh, in this imaginary conversation with this particular person I'm telling them what I really wanted to tell them. I know you don't do this, but just hear me. You, know, they, you may find that somebody does this. I'm, I'm, I'm telling them what I really wanted to tell them. 
what I think is, okay, you're going to have it, both barrels. I'm doing the both barrels job, and I'm, I'm getting into my stride, and then it struck me. It was like a little check. And I, it's just as if the Holy Spirit checked me. He said, is this helpful? It's a really good thought. That. No, not really. It was unhelpful. I noticed my manner was increasingly ungracious. My thoughts about the other person were becoming uncharitable, to say the least. Lord, I'm really sorry. I have, I'm sorry. Forgive me. We have choices, you know. When we have moments like that, we can, you can justify yourself. You can justify yourself. Or you can condemn yourself. Or you can walk in repentance. Repentance is the steady drumbeat of everyday life. He's transforming you, my friends, from one degree of glory to another. It's not a lot, one degree. You can't see it. You have to have faith that God is at work in your life. But he is at work. And each time I bring matters like this, in the everyday, in the everyday run of the ordinance of life, I see that he's transforming my life. And I need the Holy Spirit to help me to be that aware. I wait for the Lord. This is not a passive thing. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. I've done night watchman duty. If any of you are doing that, respect. I tell you, that is not a fun job. Uh, I, I have done it. And one thing I found this, the morning always came. I expected the morning. I knew it would come. It always does. See? More than the watchman wait for the morning. You know, be expectant. God is at work. Didn't he say, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus? I mean, he said that, didn't he? That's what he said. So let the gospel of grace seep into the everyday parts of your life, not just the one-off, one-thing moments, but the everyday parts of your life. And as we draw to an end here, we get to verses seven and eight, and he says... um, Put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself. Please get that. He himself. Will redeem Israel from their sins. Put your hope. In the Lord. Why? Because he himself. God himself. Will come. And he has. Hallelujah. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Let's say that together. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Who will do it? He himself. He himself. He will do it. And he'll do it with unfailing love. Now in the film, The Fisher King... Robin Williams plays the part of a homeless man. And I can't do the whole story for you, but he he is enabled to have this date with this girl and this young lady. And this is how it goes.
He just knows her. He knows everything about her. And he knows you. And he knows everything about you. And he loves you. Simple as that. He knows how you feel about yourself. He knows your good days. He knows your bad days. He knows your worst days. And his love for you is unfailing. Unfailing. He won't give up on you. Even when you want to give up on yourself, he will not give up on you. He will transform you. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. My friends, don't miss the mercy of God. Don't miss it. Not even for a day. Don't miss it. And all God's people said, Amen. Brilliant. Thank you.